0: Good morning, everybody. I say to you, good morning from the bowels of the dairy farm where I've just finished milking the back 40. I think that's how you put it. Seven o'clock in the morning in the fine and sunny climate of California. I'm afraid there has to be a little bit of a short show today um, for reasons I will explain. So we have to drive across Los Angeles this morning to get somewhere. And oh, because yeah, we also we got a hotel to save some money. We got a hotel outside of Los Angeles for a couple of days, and we're going to go to L.A. for the uh, Joe Rogan show tomorrow. And when we mentioned this to some friends of ours uh, out here, they sort of went vaguely pale, and they said, you, you're you crossing Los Angeles by car. And apparently this is sort of akin to trying to get elephants over the Himalayas. Uh, I think the only thing more frightening to people in Los Angeles than a carjacking is actually just being in a car with other cars on the road. And uh, as they said, we are boring California people in that in the same way that you in Canada talk about weather which is what I talked about the last show opening with we talk about traffic and so they suggested that we not wait too long even though it's Sunday Uh, apparently it's the end of a holiday and therefore people are all going to be parking their cars on the freeway in California that's how it works as far as I understand it so uh, we should probably go we're gonna do a little bit of a short show just to make sure we get on the road and do not end up having to spend six hours Crossing Los Angeles, apparently you do that either by camel, um, catapult, trampoline, dragging yourself along the tarmac with your teeth, or sitting in your car until your flesh rots. So um, sorry for that. But you know what? This this tra- trains me to be a little bit concise. Um, that training will fail, but uh, it is definitely a training of a kind. So uh, Mike, who do we have up first?
1: All right, Jeff, you're up first today. Go ahead, Jeff.
0: Jeff, so nice to talk to a man on this show. Gosh, just feels like it's an estrogen fest the whole damn time. So, Jeff, what's up?
2: Oh shit, uh, I was going to talk about my high estrogen levels and fuck.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh shit. shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and yet another reason why I do not have a radio show. <laughs> Here's Dave. So, uh,
2: um, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm. I can tell. I, I called in today because you're going to be going on. You're doing a shorter show and. It just seems to be the, you know, I'm, I'm really just, you really should just kick me off. Let's face it. Every time I've tried to call in and been around, I think it's been like six attempts now. So this is pretty, int- I, I don't even know what to do. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm well, good. At, uh, at least you're uh, taking again, the
0: precious time you have on this show to, to complain about not having enough time on this show. <laughs> so Good Good for you. Yeah. It's a nice uh, self-looping complaint. I,
3: <laughs>
2: all right. And I actually had something typed up to try to keep it concise. So I got a big debate coming up. Perhaps can help me. Um, I was arguing with a friend about Keynesian economics. He's actually going to school for it. He's going to get his PhD. And so I kind of wrote up a little, um, you know, a little like, well, Keynesianism, I don't know. And uh, so what do you think? Uh, That's what I have so far. Keynesianism is dumb.
0: That's it. Okay. That's very concise. (laughs) Very concise, but not correct. No, I, uh, um, <laughs> no the, the problem no, I, uh, is, is that it's, it's it disarmingly um, – it kind of disarmingly makes sense. That that's the, one of the big problems with Keynesianism. Like if you throw ethics completely to the wind, if you pretend there's no such thing as the initiation of force, and if you pretend that the government is a family – which is really fundamental. I mean, people can only believe 90% of what they believe about the government because they believe that the government is a family. And the reason they believe the government is a family is like ducklings, we bond to whoever raises us and we're raised by the government uh, these days for the most part. I mean, our, our our parents are our caretakers, but we're raised by the government and therefore government as family metaphors really work. And of course, when you're a family, you... um. You save money in the good times and you spend money in the rough times, right? So when you have an excess of money, you, you put that money aside for a rainy day. When the rainy day arrives and you're low on cash, you spend that money, right? That's that's kind of what you do. And I mean, obviously, as individuals, you do that too. But as families, it's even more important to do that because as an individual, you can cut your expenses uh, quite a lot. But as a family, you're responsible for your dependents, just like the government is, Right. And uh, the poor as children is basic, is fundamental to a misapprehension of the state. So, so Keynesianism kind of makes sense from that standpoint, and and uh, that's why it's tough to penetrate. Because as soon as you start saying that state is force, people unconsciously hear that as my family are axe murderers, and you get all the defences that go in, that kick in to defend the family and therefore promote the state. Uh, but sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's about how it seems uh, in my in my case. Anytime I kind of try to... I'll, of course, I'll try to lead the argument that way. I'll say, well, hold on. Let's let's, take a, let's let's take a look at the premise here. If you're actually talking about a family, if you're actually talking about that feel-good, mm, that's such a good analogy, mm, family makes you feel good. Ah, nice and warm. Oh, well, you had a little extra cash. Cool. I was like, well, how do they get the money? It's like, if, it's a, if it was a family of thieves, I maybe could see the analogy there. So, but you're right. I think that's one of the biggest problems I have with anybody I'm debating, especially my friends, is just how defensive they get when I start saying that mommy might be wielding a knife you know it's like i I think that's really i guess you deal with that all the time huh
0: but yeah oh yeah um, i mean look that's that's why you know everyone thinks i'm talking about the family on on the show but i'm talking about the state uh that's that's why we talk about the family so that people can resolve stuff with their families and therefore can be in a position to talk about the state I mean, it's not like I'm using people to talk about the state, but the reality is when I'm asking people, you know, how are you disciplined or what's the relationship like with your parents or what was it like for you growing up? What we're doing is we're talking about the government because for 99.999% of the population, the family and the government are unconsciously synonymous uh, because, you know, when we were kids uh, as a species, right, when we were evolving as a species, the, the tribe was our family. You know, I mean, we had individual parents, but usually we were kind of raised collectively. And so the family and the tribe were kind of synonymous. And that's sort of hardwired uh, into us. And so now that we have nation states, uh, our families plus the state are kind of synonymous. And this is why people get so insane about politics, because it's got nothing to do with, with politics. I mean, Maureen Dowd of the, of the New York Times. She's regularly working out her daddy issues with Obama, talking about how he needs to be a more assertive father of the nation and he needs to be this kind of father, not this kind of father. And it's like, okay, okay, we get it. You have issues with your dad. Um, Why are you pretending that it has anything to do with Obama? Because it's easier, right, and it works.
2: Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? I remember the the scene where it's like there's a one – uh, distant punk kid or something, like giving him the stink eye or something. He's like, you're not mad at me. You're mad at your dad. He's like, I hate my dad. He's like, walking away. And I don't know. Uh, that just reminds me of that. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I guess I good. should uh, move on. I think a really good explanation. Um, one of my biggest well, problems sorry. lately is I the, run the, my the own The last business.
0: thing, again, sorry, the la- the, the Keynesian stuff is, is relatively easy to oppose if you're willing to take a very strong stand on the ethics side of it. Because they're all like, well, what should you do with the stolen money? That's all Keynesian, Keynesianism is fundamentally, you know, should we, should we spend the stolen money or should we save the stolen money? And it's like, I think the, the word you repeated there is the important one. (laughs) It's the stolen part that actually matters, right? Why should the governments have monopoly on currency at all? Why, why should they have the capacity to tax? Uh, What, what should we do with stolen money is, is not the ethical question that's fundamental. It's should the money be stolen? Uh, So don't get. I would say avoid the complications of of the effects. Like once the money passes through, the black curtain of theft. What should we do with it? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's but good. should it be stolen in the first place, right?
2: I think a lot of us get kind of sucked up in arguments, and we kind of get into the academic side of it, where we start looking up all the numbers and all the figures, and it's like, well, you'll look at this. But a lot of times, I think you're right. You got to start with the initial premise. Where does this come from? What are we talking about? Let's start square one here. Initiation of force? Eh? What do you think about that? So yeah, that's a very well, good yes, point. I sorry probably to
0: last, let me just mention one other thing. So he's obviously training to be an economist, and economists are conciliary, right? Economists are advisors to the mafia. Uh, they are investment yeah. advisors to the mafia. I mean, most economists have wow. jobs because there are governments. Uh, economists uh, uh, is um, – uh, it's a fairly evil profession. Again, for the most part, not not all. It's a fairly evil profession. Uh, If you think in a purely free society, I mean, what do economists do? They calculate um, the effects of government spending. Uh, They calculate or argue against sometimes this or that government policy. Uh, They advise governments. They run the Federal Reserve. They run the central banks. Or they attempt to predict the effects of central banking. That's fun. All, All they're doing is they are attached to state power, either pro or con. And if state power were eliminated, in other words, what would an economist do in a free market cryptocurrency world? What the hell would they do? Uh, they are shadows of state power one, one in one way or another. And this guy, obviously, w- what job would he have? You know, he'd be, be a cab driver. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say the interesting thing is I was like I was talking to them about their, their, uh, their living situation. And apparently he's a teacher aide and he gets paid about seventeen thousand dollars a year and um I was like it's not enough to make rent because he's in California it's not enough to to get anything done and of course he works excruciatingly long hours and can't hold a regular job and I was like I don't know why I would take economic advice from you
0: um <laughs> you're up to your well, job. no no but he's um no but he's putting it he's putting his time in right he's putting his time in so that he can get some uh, some pretty cushy tenured job or some pretty cushy job. I mean, how tough is it to work for the Fed? You know, come up with a bunch of charts, go on a couple of uh, s- uh, seminars uh, in in Hawaii. I mean, it's it's pretty easy peasy stuff. And uh, I mean, get get a job as an economics professor. I mean, my goodness, I mean, what a cushy job. I mean, Walter Block has a whole uh, article about this. You know, you work a couple hours a week, you get paid one hundred seventy five thousand dollars. A year, you get summers off. I mean, you know, the, the, the state takes care of its own, right?
2: I know. I, again, it was kind of a joke. It's like, eh, you know, you're kind of doing these things, but, you know,
0: again. But um, that, I mean, and, and that, this $17,000 a year for lots of work, I mean, that makes perfect sense if you want to make conformists, right? If you want to make a conformist, what you have to do is have a huge pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and make the rainbow serrated and filled with biting condors and all this kind of stuff so so once you've got people to sacrifice an enormous amount to get that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow then what you've got is people who've sunk years and years and years uh, doing really shitty work and they've you know, got huge, hopefully huge debts, uh, and and they, or, or at the very least, they've got massive opportunity costs that they've had to spend. Right, all the money they could have made if they hadn't been doing this stuff. So you make the path to the PhD really long, really arduous, really expensive, really unpleasant, and that way nobody can afford to, to buck the system who wants to get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I mean, this is natural. This is what all uh, these kinds of corrupt uh, organizations uh, do. So, um, so I mean, how is he going to really uh, – he's going to have to be a complete conformist within the system now because he's sacrificed so much that if he doesn't get that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, uh, he's really screwed. And so uh, it's, it's nice. I mean they get free labor and they also get to ensure that everyone is a blind conformist within the system. So my question is why are you friends with the guy?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's actually a friend of one of my best friends uh, and she is – she's really my friend. And it's okay. kind of the boyfriend, so we're kind of associates. Do you want to put it that way? So yeah, it's it's interesting. The more it's, I learn, it's I your best friend's boyfriend. About, yeah,
0: I guess so. And what does she see in the guy?
2: I don't know. She says we're similar, which is kind of weird to me. I'm like, I don't. I'm like, I don't know if I don't know how to take that. You know, it's like mm, I don't know. It's it's been it's been interesting though. I have to say, as I've been. Changing my views in the world, you know, as I've been kind of growing, really looking into this thing. It all started when I was like, you know, I worked for kind of a shitty job. You know, I worked it as as like a grocery store clerk, and I'm like, the man is, you know, you know, you have nothing but shitty managers and shit all your life. I mean, what what else we fucking, what else gonna do? You know, um, so yeah, you know, oh, I I forgot to mention, um, Serrated Rainbow. That's a badass band name. I'm sorry, that's really cool, but um,
0: Serrated Rainbow, yeah, nice, but yeah. chainsaw sunshine
2: (laughs) but no um so yeah i mean i I, you know i worked really kind of cruddy job and then then i started my own business and then all of a sudden all of those aspects that seemed so cruddy when it was in my hands really kind of put a lot of things into perspective so of course it kind of drew me more towards this it actually drew me towards your show um just learning about market things and being like well you know i really would like my company to not suck so let's start with that because, uh, you know, I, I went into it with like, of course, these really idealistic ideas. It's like, well, most of our money is going to go to charity and we're going to treat everybody right. And we're going to try to make sure everybody gets like X amount and everybody's a partner and everybody does the same work. And it. And it's very idealistic when I really look back at it. It doesn't really work that way, does it? Um, that doesn't mean you can't be good. But my God, the amount of things that I have changed just by kind of doing it myself – it is is uh, such a huge fundamental sh- i mean it's it truly is a definition of a paradigm shift it really is yeah. and um, no, so yeah I have a lot of these friends. yeah and um and she does is in the same line of work as I am, and that's what makes it so interesting. I asked her the other day, and I was like, well, since you've done this, since you've started your own business what what perspectives have changed for you? And unfortunately for like the answer that I got, I was kind of, it seemed a little forced, you know, you know, you know, when you're being sold, um, especially from a friend. And she was trying to find a labored way to not agree with my points. And I was like, um, I'm sorry if I'm being vague here. Um, I don't want to bring up, you know, two hours of conversation to kind of explain it. I know we're trying to be a little concise today. So let's just say she is, has some very um, liberal ideas that she maintained in a similar way that I did. And since I started my own business, I have changed a little bit. So I I feel that she's learned the same lessons but haven't done it. But again, you know, I'm not early.
0: Okay, well, you know, can be patient patient and, and see how far she goes. But yeah, just remember, economists are basically there to make sure that everyone talks about the pragmatic uses of state power, not whether state power is justified. You know, it's that old quote, once they can get you to ask the wrong questions, they don't care about the answers. And once you can get a whole bunch of economists deciding whether the minimum wage should be raised or lowered, they don't care about the answer because the fundamental state power is is justified. So anyway, it's uh, something to talk about. uh, Hopefully it will help uh, and uh, it will provoke. Uh, a nice juicy ethical crisis perhaps in your friend uh friend's boyfriend which would be useful but I certainly wouldn't hold my breath uh he's invested too much probably to to back out now or to try anything different or to take a Rothbardian approach or something like that but uh I hope that uh I hope that helps so uh, do you mind if we move on to the next
2: um I had some really um interesting observations about my sister also, uh, and it's a little bit more family, are I know the show's a little bit. Um, we kind of start there. Uh, would would we mind if I gave you about uh, maybe five minutes to try that and see where that goes? Sure. Okay, cool. Now, my sister, we recently – she had a twins a couple years ago. She had twins very young and um, very proud uncle, very cool. And I actually got her to not spank her kids, so that's kind of a really cool success story, just so you know. Um, I remember one you. specific instance where – in one specific instance where it's chloe and claire Claire is jumping on the bed my sister walks in she's just you know these stupid kids are jumping on the freaking bed again and then she remembered what i had kind of talked to her about i was like well why don't you just try this let's just start that and she goes claire mommy doesn't want you to jump on the bed because if you fall and hurt yourself mommy will be very upset and she's only two years old like a couple days over two years old and she looks Stops, looks at my sister dead in the face, and says, "Mommy will be sad." And of course, my sister just is like floored. She's like, "What? Huh?" And she didn't expect it to work. And I thought that was um, an interesting story to to share with you, um, on from a slightly different perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I would I would. That's that's obviously way better than than aggression. But I try to avoid saying to my daughter, you should do this because daddy will be sad because it focuses on, you know, she should please me or make me happy. Or if I'm sad, that's a good enough reason. Or if I'm upset, that's a good enough reason. And again, it's not not bad, but um, that would be uh, my suggestion to sort of keep keep going down that road.
2: That's, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's like it was it's she was still kind of skeptical about the whole thing. So I was a little worried about her implementation, to be honest. Right, but right. Eh, she's going through some stuff. Right. Too. I'm trying to help her with her um, her her boo, her uh, baby daddy. And um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really daddy? great. But so I mean,
0: I'm, I'm not I'm not pop on rap culture. What uh, <laughs> a baby mama. I know. But what's baby daddy?
2: Same difference. But the mama is, is the mama, but the daddy is the daddy. So when you say baby daddy, it just means daddy.
0: Right. But why baby, baby daddy is
2: what you're
0: to? Oh, um, t- t- the father of her child. Not not that the daddy is like immature, yeah. but just that he's the father of her baby. Yes,
2: that would okay, be okay. the, the cochlealism. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So I don't know. Um, that's just been a terrible thing. I'm just trying to. I've been trying to tell her that going through the state might not be the best idea, but of course she's got it in her head that if you go through – she's just like, well, if I get him to pay alimony, everything will be cool. If I just go through the court, then he has to pay. I was like – I don't know. Um, so I, I was curious if you knew anything I've, – I've kind of looked around. I've felt around a little bit. I didn't want to waste any of your time on the show. I know you're short. But did you have any specific things about – you know, that whole idea of having to go through court to get to pay for the children kind of thing or something along those lines. Because, I mean, I I was just like... I didn't have any... I wasn't armed with any information. I'm just trying to look that up. I was wondering if you had any insight on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, statistically, the way to get a child to pay for children is to have him involved in the children's lives. You know, that's... I mean, that's much more certain than anything to do with courts. Um, Statistically... If a man is involved in his children's lives, if a father who's no longer married to the mom, right? I don't know what you call them. Can't say ex father. I you know, was a father, but the ex husband, if he's involved with the children's lives, uh, if he's involved in their decisions, if he has free and easy access to the children, that's the the, the best guarantee that I know of to have a um, uh, a father pay uh, for for the children. Uh, if you if a mother cuts off access to the children or if the mother makes it very difficult for the father to see the children, then that's when the statistics begin to plummet, right? The numbers begin to plummet in terms of who pays, right? And so a father is 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 paying his fair share for co-parenting children. If the father is denied access to the children or if it becomes contentious or problematic or the woman makes it difficult, uh, then... Uh, men begin to stop paying for the children. And this is not to say that there aren't genuine deadbeat dads, and this is not to say that some women aren't perfectly nice and the guys are jerks anyway, but if she wants to go with the numbers, right, where she is dating an economist, so you guys can look this up uh, in more detail, but the way to, to have a man pay is to give him free and equal and easy access to the children, and you sure as heck don't need courts to do that, and that I think is the best way to achieve her goal.
2: Um, where do you usually find statistics for something, uh, like that? I, I'll, I'll look it up. I mean, I'm just saying if you know anything off the top of your head of any studies or anything.
0: Yeah. You can just do Googles for like deadbeat, um, access and, and stuff like that. And, and you'll find that. I think I've got, I've got it somewhere in a presentation. Uh, I don't know, Mike, if you remember this before the end of the show, was it the truth about violence or something like that? There is, um, there's good statistics on this kind of stuff.
2: I think that's where it is. Yeah. The truth about violence presentation.
0: Yeah. Look at the truth about violence. And I think that will, um, uh, that would really help. All right. So yeah, good for you, man. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your, uh, your sister's uh, family situation. That's really tragic that she has, you know, twins and, and the dad's not around. That's just wretched. I'm really sorry about that, but you know, good for her. For um, beginning to the process of, of reasoning, just remember that it's a it's a long term process and it almost never ends. So,
2: yeah, she was really young, so it's you know, it's tough to be like, hold on, stop, just just think, just just think with me. And the biggest problem, she's always like, well, you always get so deep with stuff. You always, I was like, does that saying it, you can't get deep. She's like, well, no, I think about that stuff, but you know, I don't want to. And I'm like, ah, why don't you want? I mean, well, you know,
0: you can you can, the truth, you can right? ask her, yeah, how well is not going deep worked out for her. She's now a yeah. single mom with twins, right? Yeah, that's. And uh, that's where I go yeah. Yeah, I love these people who. Um, there there's a show I can't even remember what show. It was uh, there was a show where a guy was. Uh, he was on. He was skyping with his father-in-law, who was a psychiatrist, and he says something like, "You know, he's very awkward with his." with his psychiatrist father-in-law and so he's just babbling because he doesn't know what to say obviously and he's he says um uh, oh I'm you know just I'm having fun doing 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 good living the dream right and the psychiatrist leans forward and says so tell me about this dream and he's like no 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 I didn't I didn't I didn't have a dream I mean it's not like I don't have dreams and he goes on like that right and uh the psychiatrist is 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 not listening is supposed to be not listening and, and looks like a fool Because this guy is just saying something because he feels awkward and then the psychiatrist thinks that it's something about a dream that he can talk about. And this is, of course, mocking somebody who would be interested in dreams or self-knowledge and making them look kind of clueless. And the guy who's babbling is supposed to be, uh, you know, centered and grounded. But they just, you know, because they're really interested in deep topics, he just doesn't, you know, he feels awkward talking to them. And this is just the populist appeal to, you know, don't go deep. Don't go deep. Whatever you do, if you go deep, you will never, ever come back up for air. The horror, the, the the depth, stay shallow and watch some reality TV. <laughs> anyway, it's just sad, but there it is. All right, so we got to move on to the next caller. Thank you so much for calling in, and thank you so much for what it is you're doing for uh, your sister's kids. That's uh, that is magnificent. All right, uh, Charlie, do we have Charlie up next? Yep, Charlie's up sure. next.
2: There
0: you go. Yeah,
3: hey Steph, how you doing? I'm well, hating. Uh, I'm doing awesome. Finally got a chance to call in. Um, I had a one anecdote I would like to share and then a question. So, um, which one would you like first? Uh, your show, this part of the show is yours. So it's your choice. <laughs> All right. So I think I made a Facebook post maybe about a month ago and, uh, I've been doing this kind of hypothetical experimentation, trying to find my footing in life. And so what I made a post was on a scenario in which the dog pound comes around to people's neighborhoods and they take their dog. But the people get a choice as to whether the dog is going to be used for a drug-sniffing dog or a seeing-eye dog to help old blind ladies. So I was just taking some very quick statistics and about, probably about 40 percent of the people had a really big issue with the dog pound just coming to take their dog. And the rest of the people, the 60%, they kept coming up with all these scenarios why you know drugs were bad and old blind ladies. And so I just put it out there and I said, well, <clears throat> do you not care about just somebody coming to take your dog without your permission? They said, well, you know, it's for the greater good. I said, but it's your dog. and. I got two things out of that one I was I was really shocked when I addressed the issue directly how people came up uh, they kept backpedaling but I was also uh, shocked that at least about 40% of the people admitted that you know the dog pound coming to take their dog was something that was really not a good thing and you know I um, you know think about the state and taxes and things like that and I was just wondering um, if People would, before you could get 40% of the population anywhere, any demographic to admit that, you know, violence is bad. Um, but I've been using those kinds of things to kind of reframe my idea of reality and culture and government and all that kind of stuff. And um, I just thought that was interesting. I just wanted to share that with your listeners.
0: No, I think, I think that is interesting. Uh, and uh, it is chilling the degree to which people will give up this kind of stuff. Uh, and, um, I mean, the difference is of course, I mean, money, money can be donated. You don't really donate your dogs for drug sniffing. You know, you can, you can take money and donate it, but you can't really donate your dogs. So it's not a perfect analogy, but it's not bad. I mean, the closer analogy probably would be kids, you know, government comes and takes your kids and sends them to work or whatever, because that's kind of public school. It's, it's impressment. It's, it's when governments take your children and, um, can find them. Uh, it's um, and of course national debts is um, the governments are, are taking your children's lives in the future, right? All their future productivity and so on is being uh, stolen from them in the, in the present. And the fact that the prison may be a cubicle rather than a debtor's prison is morally fundamentally not particularly relevant. Uh, so um, yeah, it is. It is a lack of self-protection. But most people, when they're in the grip of an evil, will choose to redefine that evil as good rather than fight it, because that's easier. Uh, and what is the fight going to achieve? Most people can't, you know, they just can't comprehend why you would want to take on something like anti-statism or, in certain areas, anti-theology or anti-superstition or whatever. Why Why would you bother? I mean, it's not going to change anything. It's just going to make your life uncomfortable. But knowingly submitting to an evil makes you morally uncomfortable, and so if you redefine that evil as as good, you know, we're helping the poor, we're defending the country, we're... Um, as Harry Brown used to say about the drug war, it takes a personal tragedy and makes it into a national disaster. Um, you get to redefine it. Now, un- unfortunately, then you lose all moral compass. Your entire life gets screwed up uh, because you can't anymore determine good from evil, uh, right from wrong, and uh, your relationships suffer accordingly, uh, which, again, is good for the evil people who don't want you to uh, be able to identify them. But uh, it is it is uh, natural. And, uh, you know, from a purely empirical sorry. From a purely utilitarian standpoint, I can certainly understand why people would do that. That's just obviously fundamentally cowardly, but I can understand why people do it. But uh, sorry, go ahead.
3: Right. And um, the second part is is more of a question. And I've I've heard you talk about um, the usefulness of anger and not um, continuing the cycle of violence and abuse. And my question is, is did you have or do you believe that there's a Natural evolution to processing your anger when you're doing self work.
0: Um, yeah, processing is is a tough word for self knowledge because it sounds like basically you're producing a can of tuna through the industrial innards of your <laughs> psyche. Um, so processing, uh, you know, th- these are these are pro- these are pasteurized emotions. These are raw, unpasteurized emotions. Clearly, we need to pasteurize them too, <laughs> right? I think it's, it's just accepting right. that you have the anger and allowing yourself to experience the anger, right? Uh, uh, that, that is the mark of a free man and a free woman is to experience emotions inconvenient to evil people. I mean this is this – freedom – I mean political freedom and economic freedom, certainly important. Now, don't get me wrong. We're having this conversation because of that. But these all came around because people right. allowed themselves to feel emotions – uh, inconvenient to evil people. That is the, the most fundamental freedom that there is. And uh, the, the, that is, you know, I mean, why, why was there an American Revolution? Because the revolutionaries felt emotions, uh, anger, uh, and so on, that were inconvenient to the people who ruled over them. And then they got to rule over other people in their turn. But nonetheless, um, the, the most fundamental freedom, and this is really true in families, and this is really something to ask yourself with your families, with your friends. Uh, are you allowed to feel emotions uh-huh. that are inconvenient to the powers that be? Um, and, and you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be evil people. I mean, eventually it's all defined by evil people. But are you allowed to experience emotions that are inconvenient to those around you? And mm. that that I think is, yeah, is, is that, really, really important. So I would argue, you know, everybody's concerned about censorship and so on. Like they think that censorship is somehow fundamentally in newspapers or the web or whatever no no censorship is fundamentally about your emotions are you allowed to express experience and express emotions inconvenient to those around you that is uh, the most fundamental freedom that there is and any any place where you must self-censor your emotions for fear of reprisals for fear of, of ostracism or contempt or attacks or withdrawals or whatever it is uh, you are fundamentally not free your your relationships then are an interference to your genuine experience of yourself and the world. And anything which comes between you and your genuine experience of yourself and the world makes you enslaved. And, and most people go through this soft totalitarianism of disapproval for emotions inconvenient to others. Well, I, uh, I worship the emotions inconvenient to evil. <laughs> they are the greatest moral strength that there is. Without that, all, without those emotions inconvenient to evil, all of the intellectualizations in the world will, will not move one atom in the known universe. But with, with genuine and self-accepted passion behind it, a virtue plus passion uh, is irresistible. A Virtue without passion is, you know, academic in the worst <laughs> sense of the word. And passion without virtue is uh, just a kind of self-hedonism. But you put the two together and you have the greatest engine to, to power the future of freedom that I can imagine. At least that's certainly my argument. Uh, but go ahead.
3: Yeah, um, I found myself short some friends from last year because um, I, I saw that um, contradiction that you're talking about, people not allowing you to feel authentic emotions in your relationships. And, and the thing that made me cut individuals off is that you know, let's say you have a scenario and you're angry about something and then you get this counsel from your friends about, well, you know, let's not think about people in that way and people aren't like that. But what is so funny and ironic is that when the tables are turned, they want you to be like that. They want you to have that standard of, you know, not everyone's like not like that or being more perfect. And I said, you know what? Uh, I just can't hang out with you guys anymore. I just can't do it. Yeah, most, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt,
0: but most, most human communication is designed to disarm any genuine emotion. Um, so people either talk about shallow stuff, in which case intruding with your feelings is sort of like, you know, taking a slow pee into the lobster bisque uh, at a fancy restaurant. Uh, so they either talk about shallow stupid shit forever, uh, which is uh, a way of fencing off any any real emotions. That's sort of number one. And... The second thing is that anytime any genuine emotions do come up, they um, will always attempt to disarm your feelings. Uh, they will always attempt to disarm your feelings by saying, well, you need to forgive, or you haven't thought about this perspective, or I can understand that you're upset. But in other words, the, the, the true state of wisdom is free of passion. And I think that's, um, I mean, this comes from the sort of, Confucius stuff and, and the Socrates stuff, you know, the, the gurus, they we got a rise above feelings, feelings of the enemies and so on. And so this is all uh, nonsense. Um, this is all nonsense. I mean, uh, religion continues because people aren't outraged at being lied to. The state continues because people aren't outraged at being stolen from. It's the outrage that, that counts. I mean, genuine emotions are destructive of irrational hierarchies. And so, yeah, and how many times you hear people in this show, they get emotional and they apologize. What? <laughs> you know, you didn't just take a right. shit in my bathtub, you're just crying. There's nothing, I mean, right. well, how could that possibly be offensive? How could that possibly be a negative to have a genuine connected emotion in conversation about important issues with another human being? And they apologize like they just, you know, ran over my dog. It's, um, it's tragic. Right. Uh, and really the freedom, the only freedom that really counts because it is the foundation upon which all other freedoms are built is the freedom of self-expression. Yes, you know, an old quote by Voltaire. He says, I, I disagree with everything you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just at an intellectual level, but at a much deeper level, the emotions, um, uh, the opportunities for intimacy that arise from inconvenient emotions in the part of your friend, or your lover, or your wife, your your parents, is is staggering. And but when I, when I've when my wife and I have had strong oppositions of feelings, we've had incredible breakthroughs in our relationships, and right. that they are uh, astounding opportunities for growth. And people just ignore them all the time, because I mean, because they're you know, we live in emotional totalitarianism fundamentally, is what I'm saying. You know, we have some vestiges of political freedom because in the past. You know, if, if Jefferson and Washington, you know, sitting around together saying, uh, and one says, you know, I really, I really fucking hate these British taxes. And they're like, well, you know, you have to understand that the British, they have this history of taxation. They're used to it. Uh, you know, they have a king who goes back thousands of years. They can't, you know, there's no, you've got to really try and put yourself in King George's shoes, try and understand where he's coming from. He's got to pay for the army and they did settle the place. So, you know, be reasonable about it. Well, we You'd still yeah. be like Canada with, with yeah. the, the queen on the money, right? Uh, but no, yeah. they, um, uh, they did not have totalitarianism of anti-emotionalism. And the Enlightenment was a very passionate era, a very passionate era. And uh, if you really look at it, imagine that your emotions are newspapers and everyone around you okay. is the state. You know, What are your First Amendment rights? Are you allowed to communicate that which is inconvenient to others around you? Well, if you're not, I would say you don't really have any relationship. There's nothing to teach each other, nothing to grow from. You're all just an echo chamber of everyone agreeing with everyone else. For what purpose? I can't possibly imagine other than maintaining the power structure that is. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But uh, Go ahead.
3: Why do you think people are very quick to come to... The de- defense of abstract or people they don't even know but not the people they, they say they're in relationships with like you mentioned the king george thing and probably none of those people have ever met king george so but they know you when they're talking to you so you know a person who is very far removed or a principle that's very far removed of people they haven't met or demographic, they're very very quick. Is that a, is that a, a a a projection of defense? Is that what that is?
0: Well, it's 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 a biological imperative that, for most of human development, uh, people who challenged the powers that that were, would get killed or exiled and therefore would not be able to reproduce. I mean th- those genes, they're not. I mean they're still they still pop up. You know we are the. Progressive and evolutionary mutations in the social body, people who question authority, but it, for most people they, they don't it, it was just it was highly hazardous for people uh, in the past to to oppose or question authority to oppose or question authority you you were either going to kill or be killed right so if you said the tribal ruler is unjust or the witch doctor is crazy, you were setting yourself up to decapitate the existing social structure. You were going to pull a Macbeth on King Duncan, which is to kill the king and to try and take his place. And so you wouldn't you wouldn't broadcast that, right? Uh, broadcasting that would give the, the tribal leader the chance to act against you uh, and all that kind of stuff and kill you in your sleep or whatever. So there is, uh, and again, I understand it. I really, I really get it. I really, really understand it. But, uh, the fact is that we, we have to think and not just, you know, my whole life as a kid, I was told to o- overcome my biological impulses, right? Don't eat this because it's sweet eat this, even though it doesn't taste as good because it's good for you. I was constantly told to overcome my biological impulses. Yeah. You know? And, um, so yeah, I'm just telling people that we, we know what the values are. We know what the virtues are. So uh, deal with it. I'm sorry. Or, or if you You know, if people don't want to overcome their biological impulses to avoid criticizing those in power, that's fine. Then, you know, society just owes me and every other child in the universe a huge fucking apology for telling us not to eat sugar or punishing us for not studying or any of that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, I either I demand either growth or an apology, uh, but not this endless avoidance, which is make it truly contemptuous. Uh, I feel truly contemptuous about. Thank you.
3: Thank you the growth and the apology thing. Thank you. Cause that's where I think the source of my anger has been, um, continuous. And I've just been trying to balance it with between not turning it inward on myself, but using it constructively.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that is, I mean, the most fundamental aspect. I, I understand people have this conformity. I understand this, but all of the values that I talk about were imposed upon me as a child universally and absolutely. And, uh, that's all I ask. Is, is is people either have to say, you know, sorry, you know, what we told you as a child uh, was was wrong. Uh, we apologize. It was manipulative. It was destructive. We abused our power uh, because we don't like it when these values are applied to us. So sorry about that. Uh, that was really wrong. Okay, yeah, okay, I can accept that. That's a mature and wise thing to do. Or they can say, oh, you know what? You are reminding us of the values and virtues we impose upon children very aggressively. So we will live by them, and we're sorry that we didn't. But no, people just they want to boss children around, and when those children grow up and say, oh, yeah, those moral standards, uh, yeah, you, you're subject to them because you subjected me to them at the age of five, so guess what? You're fucking subjected to them at the age of 30. But they don't. They just they just want to weasel out and avoid and bully children and then avoid the repercussions and impose values and then squirm. And I just like, yeah, vermin. Vermin, I tell you.
3: Mm. That, that's exactly right. That's how I've um, felt for a, a, a long time in trying to gain my um, idea of what the real nature of things is and trying to let each of my um, false preconceived notions fall one at a time from religion to uh, worshiping celebrity to <laughs> I have this joke between me and my, uh, a friend of mine and we talk about helping little old ladies across the street and we have this joke saying that <laughs> we won't help little old ladies across the street because... Little old ladies are just assholes who were before, but now they're old, <laughs> and they're playing on the sympathies of younger people. I mean, that's that may not be true, but it's the, the concept of that, of constantly being manipulated, um, and having the principles of people change, especially when they get older, and now they're in a position of either the elderly or, or adulthood, and... I just think it's just very, very interesting how... Um, I, I, I call it asshole mathematics. Um,
0: yeah, I hear you. Or or like the, the first caller's sister, right? The first caller's sister right. made such a disastrous decision in who she had babies with that she had twins with a guy who she's now terrified is not going to pay a penny for them, right? right. And so now she's going to try yeah. and use the power of the state to extract money from him, or she may or may not, depending on whether she listens to, to uh, advice or not. Right. And
3: right. and so what's funny, but that. she
0: doesn't self attack for that. She's you know, well, I got to go get money from this. I'll use the stay to get money from this baby daddy or whatever. And that's fine. You know, she doesn't seem to be self attacking like, oh my god, I can't believe I bought two lovely children in the world and now I have to raise them without the father that they desperately need to be healthy and happy. No, the only person she's getting angry at is the kid jumping on the bed. Mm. I mean, morally, that's completely deranged. You know, if if you're concerned about your children growing up well, you should have married somebody who was going to damn well stick around. Them jumping on the bed is the least of their problems, but that's what you're getting upset at. Well, you see, mommy's going to be sad because you might get hurt. But mommy had babies with a daddy who didn't stick around or drove the daddy off, I don't know. Should be apologizing for that, but no. Upset about jumping on the bed. This, I mean, this is where people are. It's mad. Madness.
3: This is one source of my i mean i've grew up under a single parent single mother who was very brutal ironically she was a social worker but extremely fucking violent but you know 30 years of oprah Mm -hmm. and all this woman bullshit and guess what women's intuition and it's like okay women's intuition so uh where's that (laughs) intuition when you're picking your future fucking boyfriend your ex-boyfriend
0: Oh, yeah. No, I love that. I love how women uh, say, uh, you know, well, women, we have an instinct for these things. It's like, oh, OK, great. So, yeah, you're right. Where, where was this fantastic instinct when you were dating the loser who who bails on the babies? Right. Uh, uh, women's intuition, I mean, it, it's exa- women's intuition is exactly the same as I'll ask the Pope. It's just a mystical way to avoid the responsibility of having to actually come up with reason and evidence for your position.
3: Got it. Um, I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but thanks for helping me um, gain some footing with anger processing and dealing with duplicitous people and their asshole mathematics.
0: Yeah, you know, speak – you know, when you say speak truth to power, everyone thinks it's talking to a cop. No, speaking truth to power is being honest in your relationships. That's all it is, being honest in your relationships. And I'll tell you, I don't mean to pull the C card, but, you know, faced a very aggressive life-ending illness a couple of months ago. And uh, damn, I'm glad that I have been speaking um, the truth to those I love uh, for at least 11, 12 years. Uh, it's fantastic because, you know, when you get old and when your life is at its lowest ember and you don't, can't go back and fix your mistakes and so on, the, the, the greatest devil in the world will always reveal the truth just to make you suffer. The, the greatest devil in the world will never, really reveal, will never reveal the truth in time for you to fix it. But always right after you've missed the exit, it will say you're going the wrong way. Right after. So you get to really simmer oh, and grasp, uh, and all of that. And when you get older, if you haven't spoken truth to the people in your life, if you haven't been honest and seen what effects that has on your relationships and let yourself choose relationships based upon people who respond positively to who you are, how can I possibly be controversial in saying speak truth and uh, love those who respond positively to, to who you actually are. Well, if you if you avoid all of that and you spend your life in trivia and staring across empty chicken bones at dusty dinner tables speaking with the dead who only come to life to strangle any truth from you, well, when you get old, you'll wonder what the hell you why Why did you waste all that time? Why did you spend your whole life hiding who you are? Because the grave will hide who you are permanently and then you will never have existed fundamentally, so... Yeah, do it now. Do it now. Anyway. So, thanks, Matt. Uh, thank you so I much for your call. I really appreciate it. It's a great, great topic. And, uh, yeah, best of luck with the truth. Uh, it, uh, All right, thanks. It's a rough ride, but it's worth it. And uh, who
3: do we have next, Mike? All right, thanks,
0: man. Thanks.
3: I think Asshole Mathematics is a perfect show title.
0: <laughs> I, I think we should perhaps pull back on some, some of the provocative titles. <laughs> it's just my thought. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> All right, up next today
2: is
1: Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, Stefan, how's it going?
0: Uh, well, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. Um, I'll just jump right into things here. Uh, I'm a registered pharmacist, and I've only been working for about four months. I'm a recent graduate, and I work in a hospital, and I do night shift. And during my training, sort of ran into some an ethical issue, And it's about the circumcision thing. Mm. Um, During my training, you know, I got, um, you know, more enlightened about the controversy about it. And I sort of, you know, agree with you in that I think it is inhumane. And I don't really want to play a part in it. But because of the nature of my job, uh, there are medications that are maintained by the pharmacy department that I'm responsible for quote unquote verifying. And, um, I, you know, I don't want to ruin the show with technical jargon or anything, but I feel like um, to get the proper context, I sort of have to explain a little bit about what that means. Is that OK? Oh, totally. OK. Um, well, basically, when we get a, a physician's order, you know, we do our pharmacy thing. We make sure the it's transcribed into the computer and it's the right patient, the right drug, the right strength, route, frequency, et cetera. Uh, make sure it's safe for the patient, that like they're not going to overdose on it, et cetera, et cetera. And then after we enter it, it goes into what's called a uh, verification queue. And verifying is basically the same process. It's just like a double check. And um, these particular orders, it's for the anesthetic. It's for the lidocaine. And they're actually entered by the nurse uh, on the floor because they're verbal orders. So after a, a baby boy is born, um, you know, the nurse will enter it in. And it's basically my job to just I – don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, it's almost like, just like well, after I verify it, it creates an active order for the patient, which is the baby boy, so that the nurse can document when it was given and that it was given. Um, my point in, all, in sa- explaining all this is that the medication that they use, the lidocaine, the anesthetic, it's already down there. I'm not actually physically delivering it. So uh, my problem is that I, I've just been not uh, verifying this order because I didn't really – I kind of felt bad doing it, kind of didn't want to play a part in it. And uh, my management uh, asked me, why, you know, hey, why aren't you doing this? And I uh, explained it, and they're not really happy. And I've talked to human resources about it, and essentially – you know this is termed, team deemed a quote-unquote uh, essential task – and I could be terminated over it. So my question for you is, uh, you know, should I feel morally culpable in any way or guilty about this? I'm um, what a um, I mean, what an
0: incredibly difficult situation. I'm, um, you know, before we get into whatever, I mean, I'm incredibly sorry that you live in such a screwed up planet that this is an issue. Like I'm, I'm sorry right. that. I'm sorry that that you saying, I don't want want to participate in parents hacking off half the foreskin of the penis, half the skin of the penis, that that's even remotely controversial. You know, in any sane society, if somebody mistyped in an order and said, well, the parents want to cut off the baby finger of the baby, and you caught it and said, no, 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 I'm not giving them painkiller to cut the baby finger off the child. People would be like, oh my God, thank God you caught that. That would have been terrible. Good for you. Employee of the month, right? I'm incredibly sorry that this is even an issue. You know, that, that boys are uh, so contemptuously treated in this society. I mean, the school outcomes for boys are terrible. The boys are drugged at a 10 to 1 ratio to girls with these SSRIs. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm incredibly sorry that you live in this society where this is even an issue. So I just really wanted to say that up front, like what a shitty thing to have to look at and examine and figure out when you are, um, heading off to work. Now, what are the job prospects like in your field these days?
1: Um, yeah, that's the thing. Um, it took me, uh, you know, I, I graduated somewhat recently and it took me eight months to find a job and that's, uh, yeah, you know, that's with the monopoly privilege of dispensation of medications. Uh, there's a ton of pharmacists graduating. Um, a lot of a lot of people are gravitating towards the field because there's no blue collar work anymore. Um, there's just the the job prospects are not that great. And the, if I if I leave this, you know, I'm gonna have to. In addition to the job market being worse than it was before when I was trying to find a job, I'm gonna have to explain why. You know, uh, my job only lasted four months. Um, and keep in mind, you know, it took me eight months to find a job, and I got a—the only thing I could get was a night shift. You know, something nobody else wants to do, which is fine with me. But that just sort of illustrates the kind of market I'm looking at.
0: Yeah, and of course, if you apply for a new job, I would assume you would have to tell them that this is your limitation, right? Sure, sure. So they're looking. At, I don't. I don't process circumcision because genital mutilation is I'm I'm in the do no harm category, which, you know, everybody should be, but it's not the case. And so I don't process that. And then, you know, again, if there's a hundred applicants and there's one person who's not gonna process, I guess, a fairly common procedure. I mean, how many how many of these would you have to approve of in a given day?
1: Um, I mean I think it is important to you know, make the distinction between approving of the circumcision and, uh, you know, just verifying the anesthetic for it. Um, you know, we can get into that if you want, about the distinction, if, there, if you think that there is one. But as far as how many there are a night, of course it varies. Um, I've seen, like, I'd say one every other night, maybe. It's just, it, it, it just depends. Sometimes I see a string of them. Other times I, uh, I don't see any for a few days.
0: Right, and do you know what the hospital's policy is? I mean, here in Canada, they won't, they won't do it at a hospital. Oh yeah. Do you know what the hospital? I mean, is there any chance to lobby the hospital, uh, to get them to, yes. not do circumcisions?
1: Yes. Um, w- when I met with my management about this uh, quote-unquote issue that I have, um, you know, they they kind of stonewalled me. I don't really like how they handled it. They basically said, "Hey, you know, every pharmacist has to do this, no exceptions." But um, the clinical pharmacy manager, he said, "You know, hey, I I see that you have a strong opinion about this, and um, I, you know, he said that he would be able to, or he'd be willing to work with me. I don't know to what extent, but he'd be able to work with me to uh, maybe bring something to the P&T committee, the Pharmacy and Therapeutics committee." or perhaps the obstetricians themselves about my, you know, my opinion. So there is a possibility if I stay with them, I could influence the physicians.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you could stay and influence people to, to talk, try and talk people out of circumcision. You know, I mean, a lot of people just, they don't really know the facts about it. Right. I mean, um, you know, you, you could, crib together some notes from the presentation that i put together or some other source circumcision.org is pretty good and just maybe they just don't have yeah, the information
1: I, yeah i've you know i've watched your presentation you uh that you put on youtube and i um i went further than that and i actually looked at your sources that you used and some of the sources of those sources and you know i i did i did my due diligence because i didn't want the clinical uh, pharmacy manager to just sort of try to railroad me with the AAP's policy statement. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, you know, come unprepared. So but um yeah, I mean if I if I do end up doing this every night, I'm I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm looking like dis- disappointed with myself and that um I'll be doing it for the wrong reasons because I'm sort of afraid of all the debt that I have. It sort of goes back to a point you made on your first call or now, I got a ton of student loan debt, like more than the typical person, um, which is you know okay for a pharmacist's salary, but not if you can't make it. Um, but I'm afraid that if I if I don't if I don't verify this order, um, I'm afraid that I'm like taking a sort of irrational stance, maybe drawing drawing a a line irrationally because uh, I don't want to throw away my job and I don't want to throw away everything I have here over basically nothing and i think there's an
0: argument over nothing wait wait hang on wait i i you know i think that that's an important question i don't have a obviously there's no definitive answer that i can think of anyway but it's not over nothing right
1: that's uh the actual procedure no that's not what i mean what i mean is if i don't do this and if nobody does it it's not going to prevent it from happening
0: you mean it would just happen without anesthetic
1: no, they have the anesthetic down there
0: on the floor. But your approval is necessary, right?
1: That's what For I'm saying. I don't think it is. They just put it in a drawer and they get it out of their drawer. They have machines called Pixis machines. And again, I don't want to get super technical, but on different floors, if pharmacy verifies something, it allows the nurses to get the medication out of the Pixis machines. This particular strength of anesthetic... And size of anesthetic, it's not in their pixis machines. It's just in a drawer in the nursery.
0: Well, but I would assume that. Oh, so they administer. They it's a formality that that. So even if you don't approve it, then it just happens anyway.
1: Well, I don't think that's ever happened before, so I can't say that one hundred percent certainty. But that is what it feels like. It feels like a formality. It feels like when I verify it. It is allowing the it it creates an active order on the patient's electronic profile that allows the nurse to say, "Hey, we gave the lidocaine at this time."
0: Yeah, I would assume it's it's also some sort of insurance requirement or some sort of legal requirement that that has to go through this process and they have to track it and all that. Okay, so let me just uh, again, I'm really sorry that this is, is is what you're facing, but I mean, here's here's some moral realities, right? Which I'm sure you're aware of, but it's just worth reinforcing. The first, of course, is that you're not causing this, right? Okay. It's it's the parent's choice to circumcise. With very few exceptions, uh, it is the parent's choice to circumcise. And by that, I mean, occasionally kids are circumcised even without the parent's uh, explicit approval. Uh, That's pretty rare these days, though. But it is okay. the parents who are making the choice, and it is the doctors who are performing the operation, and it is the nurses who are applying the lidocaine, right?
1: Um, I don't know who's applying the lidocaine. It could be the nurses. It could be the obstetrician, but your point your point is taken.
0: Yeah, so it, right. it, it, not me it is not you who is making this happen. So if the parents choose not to circumcise, no no circumcision occurs. If the doctor refuses to do the procedure, no circumcision occurs if you don't fulfill your role in the process it almost certainly will still occur right
1: um you know i i wish i knew 100% but that is my that is my understanding i do not yeah, okay. think so, that okay so so look i mean this make it.
0: i i pay all of my taxes mm. now is my taxes used to throw people in prison yes are my taxes used to prosecute wars in uh, Afghanistan, uh, here yes, uh, is it used to pay off native leaders to exploit uh, their charges on these godforsaken reservations? Yes, is it used as collateral to further put my daughter into debt? Yes. If I did not pay my taxes, what would happen? Well, they'd print more money, they'd raise taxes on someone else. So me not. Paying my taxes doesn't solve the problem. I say, well, what if nobody paid their taxes? Well, this is not, I mean, that's literally saying we need a contingency in case everyone wins the lottery at the same time. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's, that's not going to happen, right? So, right. So, I mean, do, do you feel the same way about taxes? Because obviously the money that you pay in taxes is going to support a whole bunch of unjust, immoral, vicious things where people get killed and bombed and raped and in prison and all that kind of stuff, right? This is just a little bit more immediate, right? But it's 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 in the same category, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, a, like with the taxes analogy, if I don't pay my, you know, you're paying the taxes because it is coercion. If you don't do it, you know, you'll be hauled away or whatever. And it's not... Like you said, you're not the one who's, you know, culpable when it comes to all the bad things that you use the taxes for. So right. I do, I understand that point.
0: Yeah, so you, you are not making the decisions. Now, there's things that you can do within the context of your job that can help reduce circumcisions, right? So you can make a short presentation saying, here's the latest facts uh, about circumcision, uh, in in these 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 and these these countries, the process is is not allowed to be done in hospitals. You I, you could do that research, right? it's pretty easy, right? They're just going through the process of trying to ban it, or they maybe half banned it already in Germany, right? And uh, you you can't get done in a hospital here in Canada, to my knowledge. Again, I you know I'm, I'm certainly no expert on the subject, but you can say you know here's the medical reality, here's the the you know and all that, and. Um, you know, people have options. If they really, really want to go circumcise their kids, they can go elsewhere than a hospital, I would imagine, to, uh, to get it done. So you, you can, within the context, you can do a good – more good, I would argue, by making the case within the hospital environment. And again, knowing that nobody's going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll just change it, right? It may take years. Right. But I can almost guarantee you that no other pharmacist in that hospital is going to take on that crusade.
1: No, nobody, nobody cares. Every everyone, my colleagues that I've talked this about, they just said, uh, you know, that it, it doesn't seem to be an issue at all. Like no one's heard of this being contested.
0: What being tested?
1: Contested, sorry.
0: Oh, contested, yeah, yeah. No, like, I, no, understand. One, I, like no I understand. No one is even that, aware
1: that it's.
0: Yeah, that no one's aware that it's an issue, right? I mean, but they are physically removing yeah. half the skin of the penis that is perfectly healthy for no medical reason whatsoever. And so you you can make this you can make this case, and again, it may take a long time. You can make it in a positive and friendly manner so that it doesn't threaten your job, and just say, "You know here's the reasons why i have I have trouble with it. I understand it's a culturally accepted practice, you know, but at some point so was female circumcision, right, or in some countries, right? Uh, but it is uh, it is you know, the physical removal of healthy tissue and kind of goes against the do no harm thing, right. And, you know, if people want to get circumcised, they can get circumcised as adults if that's what they choose and so on. But it feels like it doesn't feel right to me to impose that on babies. I know this is not a widespread or mainstream position here, though, of course, in other places in the world, uh, it is considered barbaric and so on. Right. But you can make that case. But and and if you make that case, you may have a chance to uh, slowly over time affect hospital policy. Now, even if you can't affect hospital policy, you can bring the information to the attention of the doctors Right. And then the doctors may have a case, a stronger case to make to the
1: parents. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to be nitpicky or anything, but um, would your would your advice or um, position for me change if I was actually delivering the medication? Because uh, I feel like you're I feel like you're right. Okay. No,
0: no, it would not I, I uh, like yeah it, it would not no, it would not change because again, you are not initiating the process, right, So my money is taken from me and used to support wars. I do not declare the wars. The morality is on the declarer of wars, right it's on them
1: okay, well, I mean, uh, the main difference I see in that is that the um the money's taken from you by force of threat, whereas with me. This is a voluntary you know, job position.
0: No, I, not necessarily because you're facing – hang on. You're facing a 100% tax if you lose your job, right?
1: You mean losing all my income? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, so you, losing, you your to, yeah, and, and losing your ability to – yeah, and losing your ability to bring information that will help people make better decisions, right? Could I yeah. podcast from prison? Probably not. <laughs> right. So I would lose the, my capacity to, to influence the world if I didn't pay my taxes. Okay. And this so people will say, oh, well, then you should run for politics. And so well, if a politics isn't – you can make a case with reason and evidence to uh, the people around you. And – that is is a way to to really have influence in a situation that very few other people are going to try for and it sounds kind of cold hearted but because i know every time that flashes across you know you know another boy is going to lose half his penis skin right
1: yeah yep
0: and that is to say the least a downer but this happens, you know, okay, it flashes across your screen, but you know in your mind's eye, you know, if, if your vision turned red every time a little boy got circumcised, you would only see red, right? Yeah. It, it, it's happening all across the world. It, it happens to show up on your screen in a vivid way, but it's happening all across the world, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times a day, right? Yeah. And there are people being dragged off to prison for nonviolent offenses all the time. You know, there are children, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of children across the world being raped as we are speaking, right? And adults. There are millions of children being beaten as we speak. And if that scrolls across your mind's eye, you will go insane. Selective disattention can be, I think is sort of a necessary component of survival and and a capacity for happiness in a world still so dedicated to violence that it should be R rated, right? Ch- children should not be allowed to see the world, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I brought like some of these issues up to my clinical pharmacist manager, he um. He uh, he brought up all kinds of counter examples, like, "Oh, are you also going to refuse elective surgeries like tonsillectomies?" And they just—they're afraid I'm gonna like open this Pandora's box of, you know, refusals. And um, but tonsillectomies are
0: sorry. Again, I'm no—I'm no doctor, but tonsillectomies—when um, there's a problem with the tonsils.
1: Um. Yes but uh it is prophylactic in a sense in the same way that a circumcision is prophylactic uh for UTIs and i'm not arguing for that you and i both know that the UTI thing is you know specious specious argument but um you know it, i'm just i don't know it's it's it was well, very frustrating i mean frustrating my brother had his them, so.
0: sorry but my brother had his tonsils out and i didn't my brother had his wisdom teeth out and i didn't i still have them so yeah i assume that there's some i don't give it to everyone right otherwise oh well, yeah you know. it's
1: it's ridiculous it's not uh, it's not indiscriminate as long as the parents give the say so so <laughs> you know it's just a little frustrating talking to my management about it he even said that um this wasn't a moral this wasn't a moral issue and that um yeah, I brought up the Germany thing uh, after I was a little exasperated about it. I was like, you know, this is even illegal in some parts of the world. And I gave that example, and he just said, "Hey, this isn't Germany," and I think that you know <laughs> is a good illustration of the right. You know, this is a really you know, the, uh, this issue is inertia. Inert-
0: yeah, but my rebuttal would be that the reason this isn't Germany is because more Americans, I assume, are from America, more Americans aren't doing what I'm doing. You know, Germany had circumcisions until people agitated and and made the case, and then they didn't. Yeah. You know, so the fact that this isn't Germany is because more people like me aren't talking and more people like you aren't listening. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know any place in the world where tonsillectomies are illegal.
1: No, neither do I.
0: So, so listen. I mean, I'm sorry that you're in the position. Uh, I, you know, I'm I I couldn't give you the advice to stand fast to your principles and suffer massive economic catastrophe. I mean, I guess I could make that case, but I'd be a hypocrite in doing so. So I'm not going to make that case. Why is
1: that?
0: Well, because I pay my taxes.
1: Right. Right.
0: Okay. Um.
1: So you think that I, so, you know,
0: if you want to make the case, but rem, you know, when you see that flash across better. your screen, that's that's parents making bad decisions. Maybe somewhat understandably, maybe somewhat not understandably. Uh, you know, the more that the medical profession views circumcision as benign, uh, or maybe even advantageous, if they quote the UTI argument, as if there's no such thing right. as soap. Then the more parents can be excused, to some degree at least, for having the p- procedure done.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, I I don't usually second guess my doctor. I, I mean, I just don't, because I, yeah. I I can't train myself in becoming a physician. I, I respect the division of labor. So I think that there's a lot of I wouldn't I wouldn't do stuff to threaten my job. I would you know pe- you know recognizing that. You know, what has happened to tax rates since, since this show started? Well, they're higher. I mean, it's certainly because, yeah, you know, deferred really taxes, right? So, so, you know, it's like this is a long haul and it's always earlier than you think, right? Because you've, you've become enlightened and, and you've become knowledgeable and all the other people haven't, right? So, so yeah. be patient. It's, it's going to take, you know, you might be close to retirement when the last hospital bans this stuff. It is going to take a long time because, and particularly stuff involving children is really damn slow. Because the recognition, of course, is that most, well, I shouldn't say most, I don't know, a lot of the parents, you know, I've heard that, that there may be some Jews in the medical profession, right? In which case, doctors are not likely to start counseling uh, about the immorality right. of circumcision, at least the Jewish doctors. So these are just the realities of what you're dealing with, uh, you not having a job is going to remove you from a position of influence in the debate, right?
1: Yeah, you're right about that. And there's probably so not no. a whole lot of, you know, liberty-oriented pharmacist. period. I mean, it's not a really a great job for a liberty-oriented person. You don't have a lot of autonomy.
0: Oh, sorry. Somebody has just uh, clarified circumcision isn't illegal in Germany. The parliament there overruled the courts. The court struck back and ordered doctors to disclose more to patients. Uh, The European Council has proposed a ban on circumcision, which would apply broadly, not just in Germany. Uh, And, you know, again, this is part of what the lefties do that the righties don't do is they focus on things like foreskins, which, you know, is pretty actionable uh, as opposed to uh, the welfare state, which is pretty much not. So I just wanted to clarify that. Mm Uh, with regards uh, to Germany, but at least they're having a debate. And, um, yeah, sure. so uh, sure. yeah, yeah I, that... I, you know, I don't think you should commit economic seppuku for the sake of something that isn't going to change in the same way that I'm, you know, I'm not going to go to jail, uh, because I disagree with how my tax money is spent. I think I've got, I don't want to go into, I mean, I've talked about some of the reasons. I, I have good reasons for it. I think, I think I'm doing the right thing. But, uh, I, I wouldn't counsel you to uh, uh, to do it. I, I would counsel you to be patient, to recognize that turning a, a great wrong in society back in the right direction takes a damn long time. And most people will resist reason and evidence. Usually it's an intergenerational change. Yeah. You know, like in science, you have to wait for the believers in the old system to die off, which is only true because it's academia. Right? Science is academia. You don't need that. You don't have to wait for the iPhone four developers to die off to get an iPhone five, <laughs> because that's a free market thing. But in academia and in cartels, uh, such as the medical profession, yes, you have to wait uh, that long. And um, you know, it's slow and steady wins the race. But I, you know, I'm I'm sorry you facing this, but um, yeah, I think pharmacists have to deal with this a lot. You know, pharmacists who don't believe in the efficacy of SSRIs, what do you do? It's all very challenging. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, you know, I don't think that economic martyrdom is the way to to move the debate forward.
1: Okay. Uh, one more thing. Um, I just I just think it's weird that like, uh, you know, typically in the medical field you would never ever choose an invasive procedure when a non-invasive procedure, antibiotics, is more effective. But when it comes to this, somehow that, you know, slipped through the cracks. Um, I just think that's odd. Um, but hey, I, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, you know, thanks, women, women get a lot advice. of
0: UTIs. Yeah women get a lot of urinary tract infections, and if removing the clitoris cut down on urinary tract infections, would that be okay? No, women just take antibiotics. So yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is tragic and it has a lot to do with male disposability and uh, the fact that um, the tribe uh, needs to uh, it, like, symbolically emasculate. Yeah, uh, circumcision is a step up from what used to happen, right? Which was sort of ritual child sacrifice, uh, but um, uh, it it is a step in the right direction, I guess. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, it, it, you know, the roots are, are very deep in in why it's done and what it's all about. And uh, you know, men, you, you know, men, men just have to look to women to figure out how to get stuff done. It, it, you know, it's not that complicated. You, you just have to look at women to get things. You know, women wanted voluntary marriages. Yeah, okay. So women get voluntary marriage. It didn't really take that long. It had a lot to do with labor-saving devices and so on. But yeah, women. Okay, you want no fault divorce? Fantastic. Okay, um, then uh, men um, <laughs> want no fault defus <laughs> if they want, right? Uh, and you know, yeah. so just look look to women. How do women? You know, how did women uh, end up getting rid of at least to some degree? Uh, how did that practice of female genital mutilation die out in the West? Well. Uh, Women loudly and vociferously and repeatedly proclaimed that it was an outrage and an invasion. And, um, you know, just look at how women get things done, and it's quite instructive. Uh, And uh, women didn't use a lot of abstract arguments. I mean, some of them did, but, uh, you know, just use moral outrage uh, to get things done. Who are you to say I can't get divorced from a guy just because I'm bored? Okay, okay great. Well, um, maybe you find your parents boring. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but, um, uh, you just have to say, sorry, it's my right. And so that would be, uh, my, that would be my suggestion.
1: Okay. Well, Hey, uh, th- you know, thanks for your advice. And thanks for, you know, talking me down from this cliff, metaphorically speaking.
0: You are very, very welcome. Uh, I appreciate you calling in and look, I hugely appreciate your moral sensitivity in this area. You know, sometimes we wish we'd taken the blue pill And your life would be a whole lot easier if you didn't care about genital mutilation of boys. Uh, So I appreciate Uh, your moral sensitivity in this area. It's brutal. I mean, it's brutal because you get not just to see the inhumanity with regards to children, but you see the inhumanity of all of the people around you in the healthcare profession. Right? It's not just when, when we sympathize with the victims, it's not just the victims' horror that we experience, it's the horror of everyone who doesn't sympathize with the victims around us. Whose nature would not have been revealed had we not done that, right? Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the decision. Uh, you know, I think it's fantastic your moral sensitivity in this area. I mean, gosh, what a great dad you're going to be in time. Uh, but um, uh, you know, it's not on you. It's not on you, and that's good that you could do in the situation. And bankruptcy is not uh, is not going to move you forward. It's not going to move the moral argument forward in my in my opinion.
1: Okay. Thanks, Steph.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm sorry. We're going to have to have a bit of a short show today. I I hugely appreciate everyone's calling in. I'm sorry if you had to wait. We can go longer uh, next time. But uh, apparently I am to be terrified of Los Angeles roads uh, or as they call them, the extremely long parking lots of L.A. So I'm going to defer to the judgment of those who've lived here longer. Well, (laughs) I've never lived here. But um, uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to hit the road and uh, get to. The pricey hotel uh, in preparation for tomorrow, three p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I guess six p.m. Eastern. You can uh, Mike. Do we have a uh, Do we have a website for that? Uh, that yeah, show? it's
2: on the Freedom Man Radio forums right now. It's um,
1: ustream.tv TV slash Joe Rogan. You'll be able to watch it live with video. So
0: watch it live with video. Absolutely, and we're also working on getting video for the uh, for the Sunday shows uh, because um, but this does mean pants for me shockingly um appallingly but you know these are the kinds of bullets i'm willing to take for philosophy just like coming to sunny california oh no pants for me no pants for you mike obviously will still continue uh with the uh <laughs> casual everyday dress code of the freedom aid radio mothership but um yeah thanks everybody sorry for the short show have yourself a great great week i will talk to you soon right, i guess i'll chat at everyone tomorrow afternoon take care